we're going to get to our enjoyment at the very end of this episode. But my question for you now is, does the fact that Blackula is actually kind of a slave name make you enjoy this movie less? Oh, man. Because um, he doesn't choose the name. No, it is true. It is given to him as part of Dracula's curse. So during the watching of it, it did not affect my enjoyment. But now that you have made me aware of it, it makes me enjoy it less, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not totally surprising to me, knowing how uh, politically correct you are. I mean, if you think about it, Prince Mamuande is a less catchy title. Yeah, it would have been um, harder to market, probably, but uh, the Blackula name does draw very quick parallels to Dracula, so you kind of know where you're going with this. Does he ever call himself Blackula? He doesn't, does he? I don't think he ever does, no. Ooh, that's a twist. Yeah. I don't know how we're going to fucking talk about this one. <laughs> Are we going to, yeah, we're going to call him Prince? I'm just going to keep calling him Blackula. Is uh, that yeah. bad? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that is his character name. It is what the, the, name movie of the is fucking named. Movie. I think it would be hard to have a conversation about this without using it. But I'm not going to feel good about it. That's the long story short. That's fair. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And today we are discussing the Blaxploitation classic, perhaps the most well-known Blaxploitation movie. It's Blackula. <laughs> this is the most well-known one? I would say probably the most well-known by your average citizen. Huh, so hey, name a exploitation movie, guy would be like, Blackula, the Black Dracula. I didn't realize that. I didn't know there were so many popular culture connections here. Um, it is our fifth exploitation movie on the podcast. Yes, we started with Rudy Ray Moore, Human Tornado. From there, we uh, did a little coffee, then uh, Disco Godfather, Truck Turner earlier this season, and now Blackula, as I continue to try and expose you to the... Uh, era of 70s uh yeah. yeah exploitation films now coming into this i'm expecting a horror movie yeah but as you kind of mentioned as we watched it not so much it's really more of a tragic love story yeah it really is about lost love and and it's interesting it wasn't quite the genre i expected we do get lots of sort of horror movie shots and ideas that fit in here but really the whole theme of this is love classic horror in some sense some of the like the it's really kind of reminiscent of an earlier time in cinematic history yeah it definitely made me think back to very classic horror stories and and that being the sort of although it was a monster you still felt for that creature or that monster because really they were just trying to find friends or love or something else they just want to be accepted sorry how many monsters do you know are trying to find friends was that a thing in classic monster movies the mummies out there just being like i really just want someone i can play cards with maybe like, friends on. is the wrong term but you know what i mean they're looking to belong they're looking for acceptance is yes. what they're looking for yes. and that's what we're looking for today too <laughs> <laughs> you know what'll help if we start talking about the beer yeah you know what and uh, this is actually i'm looking forward to this one this is a beer i've had before from a brewery that we have had a few beers from. What's the beer we're drinking today? We're going to be drinking Blood Moon. This is a blood orange sour, and it's from our friends at the Whitewater Brewing Company. This is our third Whitewater Brewing beer. I think we've Actually, it's technically our 13th, isn't it, or 14th? <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. We, we did use their Christmas pack for our uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 episode. The 12 beers of Christmas. So we did crush those. So yeah, so what? We're looking at our 14th uh, beer here from yeah. Whitewater Brewing Company. We had Swamp Thing back in Season 1, like our third ever episode. Yeah, they're Wild Bog, right? That's right. Yeah, was that a cranberry sour? It was. Yeah, so heading back to the sort of 
fruited sour area. This is your neck of the woods. Absolutely. I'm just hoping people will accept this beer since you were saying earlier it reminds you more of fucking werewolves than vampires. Yeah, I mean, the blood part of it fits perfectly with vampires, right? But the moon, you always think of werewolves transforming because of a full moon, not vampires. But vampires only come out at night. I know, it works. It, it is definitely a connection. I'm just saying we might be getting some, like, cryptid diehards upset at our connection here. Like the man-eater in the uh, song from Hall & Oates. They only come out at night. I'm very drunk. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to try this. It says tart and fruity. Have and you never had this before? No, I've never, wow. never had this one. Yeah, so I'm excited to do it. I like blood orange as a uh, like flavor or fruit, so it should be tasty in here. It's very good for sours, I feel. I've had a couple of blood orange sours, and it's uh, the flavor lends itself well to that. And the tartness of it kind of fits perfectly in here. You want to crack into it here? Oh, fuck yes. Let's do it. Let's get on it. Let's what? Let's count it? Is that? <laughs> I thought saying? I said get on it. I don't even know what that is. That's a term. So after the American International logo, we get some lightning and pouring rain outside of the Castle Dracula, located, of course, in Transylvania, the year 1780. You know, back when Count Dracula was just a respected count before everyone found out that whole vampire thing. <laughs> Yeah, he was kind of, it sounded like, the head of some European dignitaries who have a bit of political sway around the world. We're going to find out soon that the guests visiting the, him are there to try to sort of argue for their cause. Yeah, and that cause is abolishing the slave trade. His dinner guests are African Prince Mamawande and his lady love, Luva. They are trying to garner Dracula's support, but spoiler alert, he is not interested. What he says he would be interested in, though, is tasting Mama Wande's delicious wife. Dracula, coming in real hot here. Yeah, both racist and inappropriate. Uh, he says there are merits to slavery. Ugh. And uh, then he also says that our prince should be honored that he wants to f*** his wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the... <laughs> The prince has heard enough, and he says they're leaving, but not so fast, says Dracula, who summons a couple of his henchmen to try and detain them. And detain them they do, knocking the prince unconscious just before Dracula sixes five vampire brides on Luva. And the makeup on these vampire women is not good. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, this henchman fight is really rough. The actual fighting itself is really fake and doesn't look convincing, and the knockout shot is pretty brutal. The makeup, though, makes that all pale in comparison, right? It is just so rough. The vampire makeup is not good here. They're just green. It's like they just slapped some, like, shamrock green paint on them. And also their fangs do not even look a little bit realistic. No, they are very extended and don't look like they fit in their mouth in any way, right? You can tell they're prosthetics that are put over, but... Hey, this is early 70s, right? It's pretty tough, probably, to... 1972. We were talking about whether or not this might be the oldest movie we've ever fucking reviewed. I know Theater of Blood with Vincent Price was early 70s as well, but I think that might have been like 74. I don't know. Yeah, so pretty early. Um, but yeah, the effects so far makeup are, are pretty bad. Um, but you would expect that maybe from the time. So... Our prince is in trouble. What's Dracula going to do to him? Well, after subduing him and his wife, Dracula locks the prince in a coffin and tells him that he is going to curse him with the very vampirism that he himself suffers from. A wild, gnawing, animal hunger will grow in you. A hunger for human blood. Here you will starve for an eternity, torn by an unquenchable lust. With my name, 
you shall be Blackula. He does not, however, mention whether or not his bite will be out of sight. <laughs> that, was the, that was the tagline for I this. I just about spit that beer all over. <laughs> <laughs> so we have... Uh, our Blackula character, uh, this curse has happened. We know that uh, he's going to be transforming into a vampire. But we don't know when or where or how that's going to happen. How are we going to get this into a 70s funk-style movie? Well, he's going to fucking lock him in the coffin and just bury him for all eternity, I guess. Or at least until the early 70s. <laughs> yeah, he locks him in a coffin. And then we transition to Transylvania. Well, no, we transition to the opening credits, which surprisingly does not feature a Blackula theme song, or at least not one with any lyrics. That's been a staple of every other exploitation movie we've watched. Yeah, this was a bit of a disappointment. I was really hoping for some funky music. With well, it was very funky. Let's not downplay the amount of funk in this theme song. Oh, yeah, it, it was really, really funky. And then we also had this kind of interesting animation. Yeah, that's what we get instead of lyrics. We get an early 70s animation of a bat flying around, then turning human and nailing some ladies. I think at one point it also m***ed some ladies' b until she was completely gone. Licked the plate clean, as it were. <laughs> Oh, man, we're coming in really sexual, but what I'm noticing is that... <laughs> Vampires this, are sexual! This movie did not do enough of that, and we'll get into more of that later, but I was expecting, based on this opening and some of the sounds and, and what had happened so far, that we were going to get a pretty sexy vampire thing going on here. Yeah, not so much as it turns out. As you mentioned, after this, we fade in on Transylvania of the present day, and uh, two uh, rather effete interior decorators touring Dracula's castle, looking to bring the antique furniture back to the U.S. As they put it, in the U.S., Dracula is the creme de la creme of camp, and they're going to make a killing selling all this furniture. Or is it going to make a killing on them? <laughs> yeah, they uh, think they have hit the big time here. They know that uh, sort of European antiques from this time and ones that are connected to Dracula lore are going to bring them a ton of dough. But what they didn't bargain for was a little extra something coming back in one of those coffins. Well, why are they bringing the coffins back in the first place? I had this thought. They're like, oh, you have to bring this. I'm like, that seems like a not great decision in hindsight. Why didn't they open it to determine if there was anyone in the coffin before they brought it across international waters? Also, I don't think they would let you bring a coffin across without investigating if it had bodies in it or not. No, that, this is what they decided to do. And after a quick scene of some of the furniture being unloaded at the port of Los Angeles, we cut to those two decorators lighting a lantern and checking out some of the items. They decide to open the coffin first, and wouldn't you know it, Right after one of them breaks the coffin lock, the other one cuts himself on something. So he's bleeding, which unsurprisingly gets the attention of the man in the coffin, who rises up and immediately attacks them. And who is that man? Blackula. <laughs> this is kind of funny. You know what's coming here. This is so telegraphed. Oh, I cut myself. I'm bleeding. Yeah, yeah the other guy's struggling to get the bleeding under control. <laughs> and then we see the coffin lid open slowly, and Blackula rises from it in a very dramatic way and takes down this guy. He immediately sucks him dry. <laughs> <laughs> He does. Yeah, and then he goes on to pimp slap his friend, right? Like, just slaps him down immediately. <laughs> it's a full backhand, yes. Yeah. And then after that, I think he also munches on him too, right? He gets a full snack. He eats two in his first night. As Oh, uh, he takes them both, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One at a time in his mouth, but he definitely... He definitely uh, takes on them both, yes. Doesn't hold back. And, and after feeding on these guys, the reality of Blackula's situation sets in. 
and he seems pretty fine with it. In fact, he's more worried about securing his sweet cape, which he does before laying back down in his coffin and closing it up as he laughs his ass off. Yeah, this was interesting here. The two antique dealers, the guys who go get them, one is white and one is black, right? And the one who cuts himself and gets hurt is the white guy. Like, I had a question. I was like, I wonder if this is sort of get his vengeance on Dracula for creating him this way. Dracula was a racist. I wondered if this was going to be sort of like a vengeance type movie. But that was very quickly dismissed when he ate the other, like, black antique dealer. Yeah, I wondered the same thing. In fact, most of his victims, I think, are black people, which is not really in keeping with, again, some of the black exploitation traditions and tropes that we've seen in other movies. But at this point, I'm kind of in the idea of maybe they want all audiences, like the majority of the audience for this movie would have been black yes. people, right? Yep. So I, I'm guessing they wanted to keep them on edge in a horror sense. Uh, it would feel like a different movie if he was just going around getting vengeance on racists. Although I could see that being a popular movie too. Yeah, th- it's weird. In this sense, the the underlying theme of racism, it's mentioned a couple of times, but it's not the focal point of this movie the way it is in something like Coffee or in Human, Human Tornado. Tornado. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So it doesn't kind of play in the same way here. Um, but just things that I'm thinking about being a recent viewer to the black exploitation genre, I guess, right? Sure, absolutely. Now, from there, we cut to the funeral of the black antique dealer slash interior decorator. He's dead, but not that dead, as we see his hand move in the coffin. Blackula is watching all of this, and I was immediately wondering how he got there. Like, when they find those two guys dead in the warehouse, are they not going to check the nearby clearly open coffin? And once they find a very undecomposed body in there, are they not going to, I don't know, run some tests, take a look at it? Just an immediate plot hole here for me. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, right? Because they get in there and the hand had moved and the person who works at the funeral home says, oh, that's normal. Like, that's sort of an effect of dying. Um, But conveniently, one of the people coming to visit the body is a doctor, his name is Gordon. What was the rest of his name? Yeah, Dr. Gordon Thomas. Not just a doctor, but a pathologist from the LAPD. And while this funeral scene isn't meant to make us ask questions, he actually has a lot of questions. The point of the scene is more to reveal to Blackula and us that one of the dead guy's friends or relatives is a dead ringer for his dead wife, Luva. Like a dead ringer. This is basically her. Yeah, so much so that they use the same actress. Well, that's the only way to do it, really, yeah. Yeah, so this is sort of what he sees as the reincarnation of his dead wife, right? He's been dead for a couple hundred years. He is new to being reincarnated as a vampire. Doesn't fucking seem like it. He's got this all figured out already. Well, that was one of the biggest problems I had with this, is he knew how to be a vampire and what to do, but he had zero mentoring or training. If Interview with the Vampires taught me anything, it takes years to figure that shit out. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Right? You need the Tom Cruise to your Brad Pitt to fucking guide you through this. Exactly. So now that he has seen this woman, he's convinced that she's been reincarnated and he's in love again. Oh, 100%. He follows her out into the night and tries to talk to her, but she is understandably unnerved by this giant dude in a cape calling her by the wrong name. So she runs away. He tries to chase her and does end up picking up her purse after she drops it. But he also gets hit by a taxi in truly hilarious fashion. Oh, man. Yeah, this is one of those really bad slow-mos where the body goes up on the hood and then flips over and falls off. Of course, he's all right. He's uh, immortal, except for afraid of silver crosses, silver bullets, and stakes to the heart. Not silver bullets. That's fucking werewolves. Ah, see, now this beer's getting me confused. God damn it. But it was a silver cross that he was scared of, right? I think just crosses in general. Uh, This one just happened to be silver. Symbol of Catholicism is scary to them. 
I, I guess so, sure. Uh, the taxi driver gets out to cuss him out, and how does that work out for her? Not great, as he pops out his fangs and drains her right there in the street. Meanwhile, Luva, or Tina as she's now known, gets back to her apartment and locks the door right before someone starts knocking. Tina grabs a knife and approaches it very slowly, but it turns out it's just her friend, Michelle. I guess it's too close to sunup because the next time we see Blackula, he's laying back down in his coffin once again. Yeah, this first night out of his coffin, he really goes for it, right? He can't help himself. He eats both of the dudes in the antique uh, warehouse, and then he takes down Cabby Lady without even, like, a second glance. I'm wondering if this is, like, a first-time thing, the first time you've done it and you're sort of really overjoyed. It was kind of like when you first right like you had to do it <laughs> a few times in why. like the same day just to figure out what was happening really pulling back the curtain on your own personal life there you know That's, uh... <laughs> i was just trying to throw that one to you see where you went with that i'm not going anywhere with it <laughs> but you know who is going somewhere dr thomas the next day dr thomas pays a visit to the city morgue where he asks to see the body of the dead cab driver from the night before the coroner, who, by the way, has a clearly fake hook hand, wheels her body out, then immediately reveals himself to be a creep when he tells Dr. Thomas, Ask me, she's looking for something. You know what I mean? Looking for something? Yes, yeah, Sam, get me a cup of coffee, will you? The doctor has no time for this. Yeah, I don't know why the coroner assumes that she's a taxi driver. She's also out looking for tail or trying to get money for tail. All women want it. Don't you know? Oh my God. So hook hand is sort of fucked up, but the doctor here, Gordon, he's investigating the body again. And what does he notice? Well, he finds a couple of totally realistic puncher marks in her neck. <laughs> he even laughs to himself and he has a bit of a theory, but he doesn't believe that uh, anyone will take him seriously. So he needs more information, but he also needs the help of some of the police force. So he heads off to meet uh, his detective buddy. Yeah, well, what he really wants is to get the coroner reports from the previous two dead bodies, the original ones, those uh, antique dealers from before. But those have apparently gone missing. Now, he confronts his friend over this and even suggests that racism might be playing a part in this, especially when the detective tries to blame all the recent deaths on the Black Panthers. But either way, Dr. Thomas demands they find the reports as soon as possible and bring them to him at the club. And when he mentioned the club, I immediately got excited because I knew that we were 100% going to see some kind of song and dance performance here. Every single black exploitation movie we've watched has had club scenes, right? Literally everyone. There's some kind of performance. Uh, I did note, though, no topless dancers in this one, sadly. You were saying you're really upset about that. <laughs> we got to wait till we get to my uh, ratings to talk fully about my feelings, but... Uh... I was a little discouraged. Uh, I don't. <laughs> the topless dancing isn't necessary for me, but I thought maybe there'd be more uh, intimacy or romance in this movie for sure. Yeah, there was not. There was not, to be clear. Uh, anyway, Blackula shows up at this club to return Luva slash Tina's purse. Now, she invites him over to meet her friends. That's Michelle and Dr. Thomas. And he turns on the charm immediately. Champagne for the table? Damn! <laughs> He knows it's a birthday for one of the people, Michelle, right? Tina's sister. Are they sisters? Yeah, they're sisters. Like literal sisters? Yeah, I think they're like literal sisters. sisters. No, no, literal sisters. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I think it's uh, Tina's uh, sister's birthday, so he breaks out the champagne, trying to make a good impression. We get a bit of a dick measuring contest between him and Gordon. Yeah. They're kind of staring at each other a little bit. Uh, Gordon's trying to show off that he has the best mustache, so mustache rides are better with him. <laughs> he does a great mustache. Yeah. And then I don't think her Black character is intimidated by this, though. He's like, but nobody has this sweet-ass cape. 
right? And yeah. so he I He also think- sticks fucking Dr. Thomas with a bill for that champagne. <laughs> <laughs> so everything's going kind of well here. Uh, Tina's a little bit infatuated with our Blackula character. But a photographer shows up to take some birthday pictures. And as soon as she starts flashing those shots, Blackula's out of there. He can't stand those pictures. Oh, definitely. And he joins Dr. Thomas in the fucking grumpy club because back at the mortuary, that coroner we saw with the hook hand tries to prepare one of the bodies for Dr. Thomas's visit. But when he opens the coffin, he finds nothing. So he quickly calls the club to let Gordon know and this basically ruins his night. Not even the arrival of their friend Skillet can cheer him up. What do you think of old Skillet here, Noel? <laughs> uh, pretty lame comic relief. He only pops in once or twice, but he's definitely playing your classic goofball. Yeah, for sure. As you mentioned, a photographer also pops by to some pictures, which drives Blackula away because he's worried he won't show up in the photos. But as you pointed out, how would he possibly know that? He has only been a vampire well, he's been a vampire for hundreds of years, but he's only been out and active for two days. Not even. Not and even. One day, I think. One day. Um, and how does he know that he won't show up in pictures? Was he well aware of vampires before being turned? Is this something that he was familiar with? Like, Hang on. How could you be aware of vampires and not be aware of fucking Dracula? You go to his castle and you're like, oh, no, it's nice to meet you. Yeah, it's absolutely bullshit that he knows he's not going to show up in photos. But it's clear that that's where the plot is pushing us because he leaves when pictures are being taken. In fact, he leaves to stop those pictures from being shared. Yeah, he follows a photographer home and makes sure they will never see the light of day by chowing down on her. He floats over to her first, though, while making an oh noise that I thought was fucking hilarious. Yeah, that was pretty laughable, right? She's working in her own dark room. Uh, I'm allowed to say that, right? <laughs> yeah. Dark room? Yeah. I think that's okay. Okay, so she's uh, she's making her pictures. She opens up the sheets to see him floating at her, and it is just a hilarious moment. She lets off a really brutal scream. There's there's a lot of that in this movie. The victims have some pretty rough screams in here, but yeah. it's pretty funny. She is now consumed. He sucks her dry, too. No, he doesn't. He doesn't drain her completely because she staggers out of her house where a random policeman spots her and tries to help. But she turns into a vampire in record time and bites the cop. So, if you're keeping score at home, we've now got about six vampires in the loose. We are rapidly approaching a Life Force-style apocalypse situation here. <laughs> so you're worried, or are you excited for the possible future that's oh, coming? Oh, they're way less sexy than the Life Force vampires, so I am not excited. <laughs> yeah, this isn't the vampire future you were hoping for, not the green makeup in Bad Fangs. The, <laughs> the, the sexy vampire future I would prefer is not what's being delivered right now. Yeah, no, that's fair. So this is not going well for humankind, right? The vampires are populating quickly. Um, they call it a geometric reaction later in the movie that I laughed at. I thought that was a funny explanation. No, that's life force. You're thinking of life force. No, they call it that in this movie too. Oh, do he they? No, good a for geometric uh, transformation. So they're sort of doubling. I, I would think exponential is probably a better that's word right. to describe yeah. it. But it's funny to see that sort of coming across here. Vampires are growing. And I think Gordon knows it. Like, he has this sense, but he needs to figure out a way to prove it. So that's what we're going to go searching for, right? Yeah. I actually lied a second ago. We've only got five vampires in the loose because the white interior decorator, antique dealer guy, he's still buried. And that's the one that Dr. Thomas suggests that they should go dig up. Now, Michelle is not convinced, but once he promises her a mustache ride, she is all in. Yeah, he rubs his mustache on her quite a bit, like <laughs> her neck and her face and her cheek, and she's like, I can like just feel how that would be on my <laughs> 
Oh, goddamn! Yeah. I cannot overstate how glorious his mustache is. Like you could lose yourself in that thing, no problem. It is a world class mustache. She definitely would lose herself in that, and like lose her inhibitions on a one to Tom Selleck <laughs> scale. It's a Tom Selleck. It's a great fucking mustache. It's better than Tom Selleck's mustache. That you bite your tongue. Nothing is better than Tom Selleck's mustache. The scale goes uh, from one to Tom Selleck. So there is as no higher as it can get. Stop right? that. Like, Ladies love Tom Selleck. He's number one. We get a romantic scene now when Blackula visits Tina slash Luva's apartment. He reveals two things here, that she is the reincarnation of his ex-wife and that he is a vampire. And she reveals something here, too, that she's a terrible actress. She kind of held it together until That's now. That's a lie. She had no lines until now. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but, I mean, in the opening sequence, she wasn't as standout terrible as she is because here. Because she was silent. Yeah. Well, those were better choices, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> it goes really sideways here. She is definitely the worst actress in this entire thing. Yes. And there's a lot of bad acting. But she takes the kick. What is also baffling here is that she is completely in love now. Yeah, man. We've talked about this so many times. Like, just the immediate all-in fucking on love. And it happens so fast here. I will give him credit. Blackula is playing this the right way. Like, he tells her he won't force her to join him. She has to come freely out of love. And when she resists, he threatens the walkout, telling her, I've lived again to lose you twice. And that does the trick, man. She asks him to stay with her and then suggestively undoes his cape so they can hug. That could have been sexier. A lot sexier. Yeah. <laughs> the way that this suggestive cape opening was going, you definitely thought she was going to suck him before he sucked her. <laughs> there was going to be a mutual. I wonder if he was going to flip her upside down so that he could go what? into the thigh and she could... Uh... Good lord. Yeah, you I'm not put sure. a lot of thought into this. Um, vampire movies are were supposed to be Were you thinking about sexy. this while we were vampire watching movies the movie? Supposed to be yeah, I'm now. This. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, speaking of sexy, we cut to Michelle and Dr. Thomas digging up that dude's coffin. <laughs> <laughs> she's not happy he's somehow like digging and throwing the dirt onto her why he didn't choose a different direction or she didn't sit on the dirt pile i'm not sure <laughs> yeah she should have identified which like he's a righty i guess so he's going to his right she should have sat on the other side of the thing but whatever this white uh interior decorator guy pops out immediately all vampired up but dr thomas is ready for him like actually ready for him he's got a wooden stake in his pocket and everything which i kind of felt was a huge leap right like i know he saw the puncture marks but to actually accept that vampires are real and prepare accordingly isn't that a bit too much or is it just good planning i don't even know i think it's good planning i think if you are going to dig up a corpse with the suspicion it could be a vampire you bring a fucking stake yeah, you know what? Maybe. Maybe you're right. right? Like, if you were going to go through the effort of digging him up, you, you're you going to at least be prepared to take it out if it does come to life. Like, I guess that's true, because if you're right, you want to be ready to fight it off. You don't want to be right and then die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So no matter how ridiculous it is, you're going to have at least something that you think you can jam through the thing's chest. Now, he doesn't start there, though. The vampire pops out, and what does our doctor do? He just fucking punches him in the face. <laughs> this hilarious punch in the face, and the vampire falls back, and then he hits the vampire a couple times with the shovel in the head, and then we get the steak plunge, and he takes it out. We get a lot of screaming from Michelle. She's upset, but obviously, Gordon t calms her down and tells her, like, clearly it's a vampire. We had to do it. I don't know how she didn't did. realize that. The guy popped out of the coffin. He's got fangs. He's got the same, well, not the same makeup. His is more of a shitty blue makeup than a shitty green makeup, but, like, come on, lady. You saw him. Clearly, it was a vampire. She was just upset that her boyfriend had murdered this thing, but it was dead, like he said, so no harm, no foul. 
I guess to be fair, if her reaction is to not believe the guy's a vampire, he's going to need more proof to make this thing stick. So he calls the hook-handed coroner and tells him to get the cab driver's body out of the freezer. Now, Gordon gives him explicit instructions to leave the room and lock her in so she can't rise and kill him, but an unfortunately timed phone call means he totally doesn't do that, and now there's going to be a hook-handed vampire. That's got to be extra dangerous, right? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. It's a that's a third way for him to stick Yeah, it. that's three. There is, there's that third hook. Now, he doesn't tell the coroner that she's it's going to turn into no. a vampire, right? So he doesn't actually think that this dead body is going to be dangerous. He should have listened, uh, but he doesn't. What I didn't understand was why he didn't just bring the police to this grave. Why didn't he just show them the dead well, vampire? because he didn't know for sure there was going to be a vampire. If he brings in there, digs it up, it's the corpse. He's just some asshole who dig up a grave. No, but now that he has killed the vampire, it's still there. Nope. Now he's just a guy with a stake through his heart. So you can't see any of the vampire? Like, it would still have its fangs. Unclear. Still have its color. I don't feel confident saying that. I feel like you could have just called him and brought him to the spot where you were. Rather than, like, unthawing another vampire and potentially unleashing it on the city, I would have just brought the detective to the corpse I already had. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a movie. As we know, there's going to be some, you know. Yeah, so, so, but, okay, so he goes and calls his detective friend, and the two of them are going to go meet at the coroner's office to go check out this corpse. They are, but before they can get there, she obviously is going to rise and kill the coroner, and the way she kills him here, we get, like, a ton of build to her rising off the gurney, then an extreme slow-mo of her running through the hallway, hair all wild, makeup crazy, this was more than a little bit laughable. Come on. Oh, goodness, yes. Uh, I mean, both the unfreezing, the slow showing pictures of her unthawing, and then we get the shot of the shadow rising, not actually showing her in the creepiness. This felt very classic monster movie. This is what we were talking about earlier. It very much had the vibe of like a classic monster movie. And we even had the sound effects and then the yeah. screaming. But she takes him out. She eats old hook hand. Well, at least she sucks him. And then he's going to turn <laughs> into a vampire too. Yeah, we cut from that jarring scene to Blackula at Tina's place. She asks him not to go, but he tells her he has to because to stay is death. She understands and tells him she loves him. And like I said, this is yet another example of two characters falling in love way, way too fast. I mean, Blackula has an excuse because she looks exactly like his wife, but she's all in on this in less than 48 hours, and he's a vampire. So, my question now is, do you think he's hypnotizing her? Oh, good question. Is he using vampire skills to do this? I mean, he said he wouldn't force her, but yeah. I kind of feel like this happens too fast. That would be a good explanation, but I don't think so. He wants true love and affection from her. I don't think that can come through hypnosis. I think that she is, or they're trying to portray her genuinely falling in love with him. I don't know, man. She seems pretty hypnotized, but then she is an awful actress, so maybe that's just her persona. <laughs> She's the black female uh, Bill Pullman. Yeah, maybe. Just She's no just, fucking reaction. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is interesting, right? We cut back. Clearly, they're in bed together. They had had some sex, I think, but they're both clothed. Oh, he staked her for sure. <laughs> you don't think uh, vampires are afraid of that? I don't think they would term it It's that. a metaphorical staking. Yeah. I was a little disappointed. I'm going to say that they, they didn't go for Of course you the were. Day, right? like, I was expecting we that. We all were. Blaxploitation movies tend to be heavy on the uh, intimacy and eroticism. Yeah. To be fair, you've watched not one but two Blaxploitation movies that involved hooker fights. So I think that's probably... Yeah, you, you might be spoiled expectations a expectations in yeah. a weird place here. I thought maybe we were going to see some sexy vampire loving and we didn't really get it. We do not. 
What we do get next is Dr. Thomas and his detective friend arriving at the morgue where they find a ton of blood and one very poorly hidden cab driving vampire. And after subduing her, it's planning time. They need cops hidden in the street and somebody get a lumber yard on the phone. They didn't say that, did no, they? No, I made up that last that part. That would be pretty smart because <laughs> it would be. They're about to flood the streets with cops to try to stop vampires, but they don't bring anything to help them combat them. Well, they also don't bring any urgency. If anything, these guys seem like they're taking this way too casually. Vampires are real. They've now confirmed it. And you know there's multiple ones out there, but they're just sitting around the detective's office. Like, not just that, but Dr. Thomas says he's got to go check something out. Then he goes home, showers, gets dressed up, and hits the club. Like, Jesus, guys. Yeah, they really don't have it yet. Maybe it's still processing it. Despite knowing it's real, maybe they're <laughs> you think struggling. they're in to... shock? Yeah, they're just sort of like, ah, I don't know here. It's funny. They head to the club. And who do we find at the club? Who meets up there? Well, of course, Blackula is there, and he and Dr. Thomas do a little verbal sparring. The doctor asks him if he thinks supernatural things exist, you know, ghosts, witches, vampires. But Blackula basically brushes him off and leaves with Tina and without incident. In fact, it isn't until Skillet shows up to drop his catchphrase. You know, he is a strange dude. That he mentions something that lights a fire under fucking Gordon. Remember that photographer from the other night? Where's she been this whole time? Yeah, what happened to her? Why didn't she come back? I don't understand. She had pictures. So, obviously, we know all along that he's Blackula. But I thought that Gordon had determined it before this conversation happened. He even starts talking about where would the vampire sleep. They know that people are going after his coffin. It it felt like he was goading Blackula here, but... He doesn't figure it out until after Blackula leaves. He doesn't make that final connection. Well, he doesn't know for sure, but I think your first impulse here was right. He seems like he has some idea, because otherwise, why is he talking to him about it? You know what I mean? Like He seems just kind of pushing him a little bit here, but I agree. He still seems surprised later, which makes no sense. Now, after checking the photographer's house and seeing that Blackula is definitely not in those pictures from the other night, Dr. Thomas rushes over to Tina's house, where he unsuccessfully attempts to subdue him. Blackula runs out into the night where he kills a police officer after taking multiple bullets that, of course, have no effect. Yeah, bullets can't hurt a vampire. So he takes down this police officer because he was in his way. He wanted Tina to come with him, but everyone's keeping her locked in there, right? So this is where I'm starting to feel like this is not a horror movie. And it's not even here. It's happened throughout. But this is where you're really getting into this love story, right? We They've made that love connection. They love each other. Blackula has found his lost wife, and this is what is going to be his motivation, right? They're going to get back together, and then they're going to live happily ever after for eternity. But the cops are onto him, though, and the hunt is on now. And although a couple of cops spot the black interior decorator's reanimated body wandering around, they don't find anything substantial until Dr. Thomas's detective friend hears the dispatch officer mention the warehouse. Remembering that's where this all started, he and Dr. Thomas rush over there and find a virtual orgy of vampires. The ones we already know about are there, plus several others, just hang and fang. And what's the plan <laughs> to get rid of these things? Let's light them up. Yeah, so, man. They head in here. At first, they don't see anything, but the door slides behind them. Instead of turning around trying to open it, they're just like, oh, that was weird, but let's continue. Classic. Yeah. All of these vampires appear, and we get the really crappy vampire makeup. It's kind of like bad zombie movie, like yeah, extra it's, makeup. It's very low quality. Yeah, really, really bad. It did not take long to do that makeup. They start swarming them, and the defense here has to be these sort of oil lamps. They start chucking them and lighting all the vampires on fire. 
Oh, they sure do. Now, the action here is pretty silly. One of those vampires takes one of those lanterns right to the d <laughs> and Dr. Thomas does a ridiculous stake dive to take down another one. And once the death settles, all the vampires are done except Blackula, who they find when they step out of the warehouse. Yeah, Blackula seems like he's just arriving home or he's coming back. Maybe he senses that all the vampires that he've created or have been created by his progeny are there or being destroyed. So he shows up and kind of confronts them. Now, do we have a battle here? Are we getting our final battle? Oh, no, not at all. Blackula bids them good evening before turning into a bat animation and then flying off. Good evening, gentlemen. I say, were you looking for me? I could dispense with you now, doctor. But I have a rather urgent appointment elsewhere. And Dr. Thomas knows there's only one way they're going to catch him. They need to convince Tina to help them set up a trap. Tina is really struggling with this, or at least I think she is. It's impossible to tell from her fucking acting. But she eventually agrees. Unfortunately for the cops, Blackula is way too smart to fall for this. That and he just keeps adding powers. Dude can do more shit every time we see him. <laughs> it's true. Uh, the way that he communicates to Tina is through some kind of telepathy. He like, sends her a message to yeah, her Yeah, apparently brain. now he can just talk to people through their minds. Yeah, so he gives her a message and tells her to meet him somewhere. So she sneakily escapes out of her apartment despite there being... A whole horde of police. She goes out her window. Apparently, they weren't watching the fire escape. <laughs> I guess not. It seems like this is all going to work out, and theoretically it should, but as the hypnotized Tina staggers through the night, longing for Blackula to metaphorically stake her again, she happens to get spotted by a random patrol car, which follows her to a chemical plant, which we can infer must be Blackula's new lair. And sure enough, she enters the plant and he embraces her while vaguely sexual music plays in the background. Yeah, it was pretty romantic. Uh, there was pipes everywhere, so you were getting a lot of like conversations, <laughs> your thoughts in your mind. Subliminal uh, yeah, imagery. It, it yeah. was also wet, so it was wet, oh, and there were pipes on, yeah. everywhere. You were like, okay, they're, they're going to do it again, or he's going to transform her into the vampire now. Just setting you up for disappointment, eh? And they're going to... That's what they kept doing. It was just like a giant <laughs> tease, this whole movie. I thought it was going to just be like some sweet Dust Till Dawn vampires all over this place, and instead I got this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. Now, before they can consummate their vampiric relationship, cops swarm the building and start firing wildly. Seriously, I'm pretty sure one cop has his eyes closed and he accidentally hits Tina. So now Blackula has to turn her into a vampire right then and there, and he is pissed about it. He calls out to Dr. Thomas with a warning. Dr. Thomas, you and your dear friends are dead. Not one man can escape my vengeance. Not one man shall leave here alive. Search out every shadow, every corner. This will be your employer's tomb. Your tomb. Your tomb. Your tomb. Your tomb. <laughs> <laughs> and he just starts fucking guys up. Yeah, this is pretty hilarious. He just goes around and starts fucking smashing cops to death. He did kill that one who closed his eyes and shot Tino. That's some crack police work. What are some <laughs> of the other deaths that happen here? You turn around, it was the 70s. Cops were allowed to just shoot people and no one cared. <laughs> I don't know on, how man. to go from there. Maybe that's true. Um, 
I know at least one gets killed by getting tossed into electrical equipment. God damn, man. That this one's is rough. All, yeah, this is all hilariously bad. That guy randomly gets launched into a control panel and sparks are flying everywhere. A different guy gets tossed down several stories in what is so clearly a stunt fall. And Blackula lifts up another guy and tosses him down some stairs in a totally unrealistic fashion. This is all so silly, but fun. However, Dr. Thomas, the detective, and Michelle, who is there for some reason, I don't know why, eventually make it to Blackula's coffin, where they ready a stake, rip the door open, and plunge it right into Tina's heart, who I guess needed to rest up after the transformation. Yeah, she was in his coffin. I think they thought they were going to go stake Dracula, but instead... Dracula? He's still alive? I thought they were going to go stake Blackula, but instead they get Tina... Um, she lets out a horribly acted scream and her facial expressions suck. Damn. Um, she kind of leans up and then falls back and dies. And then who appears out of the shadows? Oh, it's Blackula, of course. How's he going to react to this shit? I thought he was going to like fucking tear them apart. I thought we were going to see some vengeance for his love being destroyed, but it kind of takes a different turn. Oh, very much so. You have to realize, without Tina slash Luva, there's no reason for him to live. So Blackula decides to end things by walking out into the sunlight. And this is where he really gets to show off some acting chops. His facial expressions and gestures as he stumbles out and starts dying are just incredible. And the musical flares they throw in here totally match it. This was great shit. I enjoyed this. We get some, like solar flares on our lenses right we get all kinds of like cinematography built into this last little segment he's definitely mourning her the music is telling us so and he's going to end it all he sort of lays down once we get the full sunshine on him and then we transition to our police officers heading up those stairs Oh, yeah, God, Dr. Thomas needs to confirm that Blackula is actually dead. And we kind of get a pretty cool shot here as he rushes out to look at the body. And when we get a look at Blackula's face, we see that his eyes have been hollowed out and maggots are crawling out of his skull. And speaking of the skull, we dissolve from this obvious rubber mask to a totally fleshless skull in what is maybe the worst effect of the whole movie. Not a great note to end on. Yeah, the animation aspects of this are really dated, right? Well, and yet, we were talking about this. When he turns into the bat, we both laughed, but you made a good point, which was... <laughs> it's still way better than the birds from Birdemic. <laughs> which is insane. This is from 1972, but that was from 2010. They couldn't get fucking better graphics. Someone drawing a fake bat on the film in this movie looked better than those horseshit birds. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which is amazing. It tells you something of the film craft that went into these two movies if you haven't listened to our birdemic uh episode it's from earlier this season check it out it's pretty good i guess <laughs> if you want to hear a shit on a yeah, really the movie bad isn't movie good, oh my god we have a yeah, good time a good with one. it yeah, yeah for sure um yeah man then we're into the credits and the song playing in the credits kind of so so i kind of find the music for this underwhelming yeah i would say that was a little bit of a disappointment too going in there were some expectations about the sweet funk soundtracks that uh, we had seen in this one had some funky stuff, had reasonably good sound effects that matched the mood and things that were happening, but uh, all really synth-heavy, probably done inexpensively, right? They didn't I have a huge budget. There was a budget. fucking harpsichord at one point. It wasn't just synth. We had, like, uh, organ true. and stuff happening. True. Yeah, know. that's true. But I agree. The music didn't quite hit the note that I'd, I'd expected from the previous one. The lack of a theme song, definitely a letdown. And this seems like a good point for us to transition to our ratings. We're already talking about what we did and didn't like about this, so... The way we always do this, we rate the movie on a scale of 1 out of 10 two times, 1 out of 10 for how bad it is, 1 out of 10 for how enjoyable, and the goal is to find movies that are a 10 out of 10 on both scales, or what we call a... 
Crit 20. And I am really torn on this. Like, this is a cool idea, but in my opinion, a lot of the execution leaves something to be desired. Like, you've got all the makings of a high bad score, but I really struggled whether to make this a 9 or a 10 because while there are some horror elements here, no parts of it are particularly scary or even creepy. There's the love story, but she is such a bad actress that I can't realistically get invested in that. Here's an idea. Pam Greer is in the sequel. Why not make her the female lead in this one? Ooh, that would be a lot stronger. Yeah, I mean, sure. that's yeah. a lady I'd spend an eternity waiting for, you know? <laughs> Throw in some of the bad makeup and special effects, Dracula's ladies from that first scene, the bat when he transforms. I kind of think I have to give this a 10, but I don't really feel great about it. What did you think? So I definitely had problems with the effects. Like you said, it ended on a horrible one, and there were some other brutal ones, including the makeup as well. The acting really struggled. Uh, there was heavy homophobia, but that's time-based, I know. But Yeah, it was, the it, two interior decorator characters, they get kind of short shrift here from a lot of other people. And the police department and the language they use around it is pretty rough. Um, I had a trouble with the plot not really having a driving purpose. Like, I struggled for a long time to realize what Blackula's purpose was. Like, was it revenge? In nope. the end, in, no, it wasn't. It, wasn't. it, it wasn't almost revenge. should have been, but it wasn't. It wasn't hunger. It, it was, in the end, it ended up being for love, and that kind of fell flat, like you yeah, said. Yeah, dude barely feeds at all. Do we see him feeding when it's not someone who's, like, aggrieved him? No, and everyone who he feeds on became a vampire. That's weird, too. Yeah, they don't they don't just kill anybody. That he doesn't just, really like, fit yeah. my vampire understanding or lore, right? So those are the things that kind of combined for my bad rating. I'm not going to say that this was a good movie. I I had it written down as a nine score. So I didn't okay, go 10. Yeah. Uh, there were just a few things to it um, that kept it in the not 10 out of 10 bad category for me. Right. Now, what about enjoyable? How enjoyable is the movie for you? Um, I laughed uh, not a ton, but I did, particularly at some of the acting. Um, I actually really <laughs> liked the performance of our Blackula character. Yeah, he was solid. Yeah, and I, you know what? He's carrying the movie, and thank God, because no one else was equipped to. Yeah, Thomas was okay, too. He wasn't bad. Yeah, right? yeah, those two kind of carried it. The kills were pretty funny. Um, the makeup that came out after was really bad. Some of the chases were funny. Like, the foot chase, I thought, was was funny. And then some of the, like, battle at the end, I enjoyed and laughed a lot. Um, I, I liked some of the music. I liked some of the sound effects. I enjoyed watching it. Like, there's no regrets watching it, um, for sure. I had it as a seven enjoyable. So okay. I thought it was good. I The things that were missing for me were more intentional quality comedy, better music. <laughs> Sorry, Skillet didn't bring enough of that to no, the table Skillet for No, Skillet didn't bring enough of that to the table for me. And I really wanted some good eroticism or nudity. I feel like this lacked it. <laughs> there was a Again, real opportunity here. And this spoiled is, for this black exploitation so, nudity. So yeah. I, I had this as a seven. So nine bad, seven enjoy for me. That's fair. Um, we're pretty close in this. In terms of the enjoyment for me, there are some parts I enjoy. You touched on a lot of those. Having said that, I didn't think the costumes were great. The music wasn't great. Like I said, there was not a lot of creepy or scary elements. Parts of this dragged, I felt. Like, um, we come in pretty hot with that Dracula action, and then there's a lot of, like, the will-they-won't-they they stuff with him and Tina. There's a lot of the, uh, fucking Dr. Thomas trying to figure out what's going on. Just slow in parts. And yet, much like Tina was with Blackula, I find myself strangely drawn to this movie. I can't totally explain why, but I have this as an aid enjoyable. As I'm watching it, I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't good, this isn't good, this is dragging. But at the end, I was like, yeah, Blackula, I don't know. <laughs> and sometimes you just have uh, a sense of that for something, right? Like this is something you love and you're not sure why and that's okay. 
Yeah. I mean, there's better exploitation movies out there for sure. There's ones I've enjoyed a lot more that we've watched, but I, I would and will watch this again for sure. All right. So we've talked about the movie. How about this beer, our Blood Moon? Oh, God bless this Blood Moon beer from Whitewater Brewing. This is just delicious. Yeah. I, it's a sour. It's fruited. I'm a fruited sour man. It was a pleasure to drink. I mowed through this quickly. Yeah, definitely easy to crush for sure. I enjoy it. Um, quality sour. That blood orange flavor is excellent in here. It kind of reminds me of breakfast. Like it's almost like a mimosa. Yes. Right? Yes. It, it kind of feels like an early morning. This is one of those beers that if you were up at the cottage and wanted to uh, have a few before noon, this would be the right call, right? This is the kind of beer to get your day started with. Oh, for sure, man. Right? So uh, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I would definitely have this one again. I think it's quite readily available. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a year-round. This is not a seasonal offering. Um, and Like Whitewater, we talked about this. One of my favorite craft breweries in Ontario Really good stuff out of the Ottawa area. You can find Blood Moon in most places in Ontario, and you should. It's delicious. Awesome. All right, what are we looking at uh, getting into next week? What do we got coming up? Well, if Blackula didn't pack enough of a punch for you, next week's movie is definitely going to do a trick there. Next week, we're going to be watching No Holds Barred. What's that? Did you not grow up in the 80s? You grew up in the 80s, right? I did, but I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Well, No Holds Barred was the very first movie starring WWF legend Hulk Hogan. <laughs> what? This is a movie that I believe WWF produced at like the height of Hogan's fame in the 80s. It's a WWF produced movie. Yes, starring Hulk Hogan as a uh, wrestler. Is he an American not much of a stretch there, I guess. superhero? Does he tear a lot of shirts off? Oh, I 100% need to tear his shirt off for sure. Oh, this is and exciting. he's faced with his greatest challenge, the one and only Zeus. <laughs> Not the fucking god, just some big black guy named Zeus. Oh, okay. And so yeah. they're going to battle it out in the ring. And they do. Okay. I'm, and I'm, uh, it's a comedy, kind of. It's a comedy. Pretty much. I mean, you can't take it seriously. So <laughs> I have no idea what to expect, but I'm excited for this. I definitely watched some WWF. Growing up in the 80s, how I'm could I mind not? mind blown that yeah. you haven't seen this. But yeah. I have never seen it, absolutely not. Add it to the yeah. list of yeah. many movies I thought you for sure would have seen in the 80s, and you didn't. Nope. This one, I cannot believe, because this was every video store had this. So is this like a fight to the death match? Then? Anything goes. No, no one's going to die. Oh, it's, come it's on. WWF, okay. Yeah. But this means that there are no Also, you'll never guess who wins. No way Hogan would win this. this. We'll have to wait and see. (laughs) So uh, please join us for that next week. But before then, if you haven't already, follow us on social media at the BMB podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, we would always love some feedback. If you have any suggestions for beers or movies, please send them our way. If you want to send us an email, thebnbpodcast at gmail.com. Yep, that's a great way to reach us as well. And we hope you will join us next week for No Holds Barred. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep on sucking. His bite was out of sight.